You may be seated. Well, good morning, church. It is great to be with you all. I just appreciate the opportunity to gather and to worship and a foretaste of deliverance uh, by singing and worshiping the Lord with you together and feasting on his spirit, feasting on his presence. Um, It's just great to be with you all. Uh, My name is Dove Cohen. I'm a member here at Providence Community, uh, and I have the privilege and opportunity to preach the word this morning. Uh, So uh, for any kiddos who are still in, in here, feel free to make your way to children's ministry. Looks like you're uh, all ready to go. Um, so, yeah, so let's dig in. Um, today's message is entitled Close and Great. Encountering Christ Unlocks a Wise Walk. Encountering Christ Unlocks a Wise Walk. And the main idea of today's sermon is that encountering Christ, like it says, unlocks our ability to walk in wisdom. So I want to start out today's message uh, with a question. Have you ever encountered someone that in meeting them utterly changed your life? Have you ever encountered someone that in meeting them utterly changed your life? If you apply the Kevin Bacon six degrees of separation theory, I guess I've come pretty close Uh, My sister, who helps produce movies, uh, once worked with Billy Crystal, so that's pretty cool. Uh, My stepbrother, he does lighting for Jimmy Fallon, so he's met all sorts of people, neat people, that's pretty neat. Um, So that's that's my connection to me, though. Uh, Upon first glance, I've never really met anyone super famous, life-changing. Unless you count the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Jesus Christ. It was April of my senior year of high school, and a friend of mine had given me a Bible, both Old and New Testament. I was brought up Jewish. Uh, And I was alone on my couch in my living room in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, and I was reading Matthew. And it was then that a life-changing encounter took place. For it is then that I met Jesus for the very first time. A couple weeks prior, I had read Romans, and that kind of went over my head a little bit. Um, Thank God the Spirit has illuminated it, and and I've studied, you know, different commentaries and understand a little better now. Uh, But but in reading Matthew, and especially in reading his Sermon on the Mount, I encountered someone whose teaching resonated with my soul, resonated as true and kind. And from that point on, I would never be the same. So I ask again, have you ever encountered someone that meeting them has utterly changed your life? For the majority of us in this room, I'm confident the answer is resounding yes. We've met the Lord, and that's why we're here. Week in, week out, to continue to encounter him, to hear the word preached, to take the holy sacraments, to worship in song, and fellowship with God's excellent ones. For some of us in this room, in that category, 
I'm sure we're hungry for more, for a fresh encounter with the Lord. And I pray that this sermon serves that purpose. For, other, for others of us, it's been a while. We haven't tasted the closeness or the majesty of the Lord in a fresh way in quite some time. I pray that the sermon serves that purpose. And for others in this room or watching, maybe you've just never really encountered the Lord. Maybe no one's ever told you about him. Maybe the Holy Spirit has never illuminated his truth and kindness to you in a way that led you to chase after him with all your heart. I pray that this sermon serves that purpose. Either way, this sermon is going to be about Christ and how encountering him unlocks our ability to live out Proverbs, specifically Proverbs 21. So here's what this morning is going to be about. First, we're going to explore Jesus and what is known as his imminence, his closeness, and dear kindness, specifically in the story of Zacchaeus. We will encounter Jesus along with Zacchaeus and see how that encounter flipped Zacchaeus' life upside down into one of joyful repentance, into alignment with many of the verses found in Proverbs 21. Second, we're going to explore Jesus in his eminence, his majesty, and grandeur, specifically in the story of Jesus' calming of the storm. We will encounter Jesus, along with Peter and his disciples, and see how that encounter impacted the disciples and empowered them to increasingly walk in the wisdom of Proverbs 21. Third, we will take a walk close to the cross and encounter Jesus there and see how both Jesus' imminence and eminence collide and are found there and how experiencing both of those qualities fuels an ambition for his glory, a zeal also found in Proverbs 21. So before we go on, though, let's read the passage. Just so going to open your Bible or bring out your phone to Proverbs 21. Let's read, let's read the passage. Proverbs 21. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. To do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Haughty eyes and a proud heart, the lamp of the wicked, are sin. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. The getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a snare of death. The violence of the wicked will sweep them away because they refuse to do what is just. The way of the guilty is crooked, but the conduct of the pure is upright. It is better to live in a corner of the housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. The soul of the wicked desires evil. His neighbor finds no mercy in his eyes. When a scoffer is punished, the simple becomes wise. When a wise man is instructed, he gains knowledge. The righteous one observes the house of the wicked. He throws the wicked down to ruin. 
Whoever closes his ear to the, to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. A gift in secret averts anger, and a concealed bribe strong wrath. When justice is done, it is a joy to the righteous, but terror to evildoers. One who wanders from the way of good sense will rest in the assembly of the dead. Whoever loves pleasure will be a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not be rich. The wicked is a ransom for the righteous and the traitor for the upright. It is better to live in a desert land than with a quarrelsome and fretful woman. Precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. Whoever pursues righteousness and kindness will find life, righteousness, and honor. A wise man scales the city of the mighty and brings down the stronghold in which they trust. Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. Scoffer is the name of the arrogant, haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. The desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. All day long he craves and craves, but the righteous gives and does not hold back. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination. How much more when he brings it with evil intent? A false witness will perish, but the word of a man who hears will endure. A wicked man puts on a bold face, but the upright gives thought to his ways. No wisdom, no understanding, no counsel can avail against the Lord. The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but victory belongs to the Lord. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today has a more transformative order ever been given. Now, most of us know the story of Zacchaeus. As the song goes, I won't sing it, uh, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. I think Luke is being nice when he says that Zacchaeus was small in stature. Luke also records that he was a man from Jericho, a chief tax collector, and was rich. Quite the combination and certainly not the type of person you would expect to be interested in Jesus. Tax collectors certainly were not known for being the most honest of people, and in fact, were known in their day to extort their Jewish brethren in order to enrich themselves. However, Zacchaeus must have heard something about Jesus prior to the Lord's passage through Jericho, as Zacchaeus was clearly very interested in him. So much so that Zacchaeus ran ahead, we all know, ran ahead of Jesus and climbed the sycamore tree in order to see him. I suspect this interest pleased the Lord greatly. As Jesus, as noted earlier, gave the order for Zacchaeus to come down and spend some time together in Zacchaeus' house. Well, as Luke records, this meeting between Jesus and Zacchaeus had a profound effect upon Zacchaeus. A rich tax collector, someone that a crowd of people regarded blatantly as a sinner, was transformed into a person of honesty, integrity, generosity, and holding a concern for the poor. What in the world 
did Jesus say to him? Wouldn't you have liked, wouldn't you have loved to be privy to that conversation? So, what in the world does this have to do with Proverbs 21? Well, let's look at it. First, consider Zacchaeus' plight before he encountered Jesus. Verse 6. The getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a snare of death. Zacchaeus had a lying tongue and was in the snare of death. Check out verse 7. Zacchaeus was a wicked man, an unjust man, on the brink of being swept away. As verse 8 describes, he was guilty and crooked. Verse 10. He desired evil as his neighbors found no mercy in his eyes. As he greedily took money from them, took their livelihoods from them, in the name of the Roman government, shipping a little or maybe not so little off the top for himself. Surely Zacchaeus was in grave danger, as verse 13 describes. As he closed his ear to the poor, and in doing this, Zacchaeus himself was in the, in the position of calling out to the Lord and not being heard, which is a scary place to be. In the case of this analysis, I certainly would not want to be Zacchaeus. But isn't this exactly what all of us were at one time? Think of Ephesians 2, 1 to 3. And you and I, and we were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Thank God for the but God of Ephesians 2, verse 4. In our lives, in the life of Zacchaeus, for when our friend, the tax collector, met Jesus, Zacchaeus heard him, like in Proverbs 21, 28, gave thought to his ways, like in verse 29, and he humbly, he was humbly open to instruction, like in verse 11, and ultimately, he repented. As Luke records, Zacchaeus exclaimed to the Lord that, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Luke 19.8. He truly became a man of Proverbs 21.3. To do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. And even Proverbs 21.21, whoever pursues righteousness and kindness will find life, righteousness, and honor. And even Proverbs 21, 26, for the righteous gives and does not hold back. Truly, this pleased the Lord, as he exclaimed, Today, today salvation has come to this house, since he also is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Aren't you glad Jesus came to seek and save? the lost, isn't Zacchaeus. Clearly, an encounter with Jesus transformed this man from one of foolishness leading to destruction to one of wisdom 
leading to repentance, faith, and life. Next up, let's encounter Jesus in his majesty and his grandeur, his eminence. Peace, be still. Have ever more common words been spoken? It had been a long day for Jesus. Consider, he had just taught crowds of people some of the most profound truth ever heard by human ears. He was tired. And it was time to cross over the Galilee to his other side, to the country of the Gerasenes. So he and his disciples got in a boat, and Jesus decided it was time for a nap. Then, as most of us have heard before, a great windstorm arose. On the sea, waves were breaking into the boat, and not little Lake Olathe waves. No, the boat was filling with water. But no worries, no worries. Jesus was in the stern of the ship, asleep, comfortably, on a cushion. What were the disciples to do? They were freaking out, just imagine it, trying to dump water out of the boat while pacing around trying to determine whether to wake up their dead, tired teacher. In the end, all they knew was that they didn't want to be dead, so they woke up Jesus. And what a way to wake him up. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Let that line ring in your ears. Do you not care that we are perishing? Man, they just hadn't gotten it yet. The one who left heaven, left the Father's direct fellowship, the one who would die bloody and beaten on a cross for them. Oh yeah, he cared. To just consider his mercy. He spoke to the wind and the sea, his creation, that he was upholding at that very moment. Peace, be still. Yes, Jesus gave them a bit of a stern rebuke. Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? But he saved them, and not for the last time. This story is a prime example of Jesus' eminence, his grandeur and majesty. He's not having dinner with a tax collector right now. He's literally telling creation what to do and letting his disciples see it. This eminence can also be found throughout Proverbs 21. Think of verse 1. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Per this verse, Jesus literally directs the hearts of rulers, directs the affairs of state like we learned about last week. He is king of kings and lord of lords, not someone you want to mess with and certainly someone you want on your side. Also, consider verse 30. No wisdom, no understanding, no counsel can avail against the Lord. Jesus is the height of all wisdom, of all understanding, and counsel. He is supreme. His understanding no one can fathom. His wisdom no one can measure. If he gives counsel, if he says for something to happen, it will happen. Why do we doubt? How much we like those disciples in the boat. The disciples in that boat, they felt the need to control. They were not resting 
in the loving care of their teacher. Like a quarrelsome and fretful wife, like in verses 9 and 19, they doubted the goodness, wisdom, power, and love of their Lord. They were worried. Ultimately, they gave in to their pride. They thought they knew better than the Lord. They did not want to be caught in the storm. Like the scoffer of verse 24, scoffer is the name of the arrogant, haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. They questioned Jesus, literally accusing him of not caring. And if that isn't the height of pride and unbelief of exalting their own understanding, their own wisdom, and counsel above those of the master, I'm not sure what is. So now consider the transformative effect of these three powerful words. Peace, be still. Mark 4.41, and they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? The disciples were amazed. They are beginning to see. Yes, their haughty eyes and proud hearts, like in verse 21.4, were beginning to humble, to soften, to fear, and to be amazed. They were encountering the Lord in his eminence. They were encountering the Lord. If the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, Proverbs 1.7, Proverbs 1, well, it seems like through this encounter, Jesus set them deeper down the path of knowledge. No need to quarrel or fret. Jesus is in control. Finally, it's time to come to the place where Jesus' imminence and eminence collide, where our salvation was wrought, and where an ambition for his glory can spring. Let's visit the cross. First, consider all humanity's plight, the plight of Zacchaeus, the disciples, and our own, apart from Christ. Proverbs 21:12. The righteous one observes the house of the wicked. He throws the wicked down to ruin. Zacchaeus, in his greed and self-indulgence, was on the path to ruin. The disciples, in their pride and unbelief, were on the path to ruin. We, in whatever sin we found ourselves in prior to conversion, were on the path to ruin. Proverbs 21:16, one who wanders from the way of good sense will rest in the assembly of the dead. So consider the mercy. Consider the mercy of verse 18, matched up with a couple of verses from the New Testament. Verse 18. The wicked is a ransom for the righteous and the traitor for the upright. Match that up with 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you hear it? Do you hear the whispers of the cross in Proverbs 21? Consider Romans 5.7-8. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, but perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ 
died for us. Jesus was not wicked. Yet God made him sin as a ransom. Not for the righteous, but for the wicked. The upright became a ransom for the traitor. Hear it again. God made him to be sin, who knew no sin. God placed all our greed, all our pride, all our unbelief, all our sin onto Christ and nailed him along with it to a cross. And the effect of this, we are forgiven. We are new creations. We are justified before God. We are adopted into God's family as dearly loved children. And now, now we can walk with an ambition for his glory, free to enjoy making much of him. We can be diligent for him, like in verse 21.5. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. We can be diligent for the Lord, because we can be empowered by his spirit and empowered by a desire for his glory. We can deny ourselves and live for him. Like in verse 17, whoever loves pleasure will be a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not be rich. We don't have to live in that anymore. We are free from that because of Christ. We can evidence the fruit of the Spirit, like self-control. Verse 23, whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. By God's grace in Christ, by his Spirit, we can guard our tongues and we can give life with our words. All this flowing from the Spirit that is now within us, the Spirit of Christ living in us, flowing the streams of water, empowering us to walk wisely in the fear of the Lord for his name and our joy. Surely we are now more than conquerors through him who loved us, Romans 8, 37. All through a saving encounter at the cross of Christ. So there is, there is so much that we could apply from the wisdom of Proverbs 21, so much to learn. We've blazed through so many verses from Proverbs 21. There's so much we can apply. But if we don't first and primarily see the vital need of our encountering Jesus on a regular basis to empower our learning of and obedience to Proverbs 21, our efforts will be in vain. So for application this morning, I want us to consider three things. First of all, is it even possible to encounter the Lord now? And if it is possible, too, and I believe the Bible encourages us that it is, how can we put ourselves in a position to encounter the Lord? And three, what will be the fruit of our encounters with the Lord? So first, is it possible to encounter the Lord Jesus? Well, encounter the Lord sounds pretty mystical, spiritual, even I mean, Jesus is risen in heaven, seated next to the Father. He's not on earth anymore, right? I'd argue, and I think Scripture would say, that even though Jesus is in heaven, we can still encounter him. It's not some mystical mystery. It is spiritual in nature. We can still be in his presence. We can still hear him speak. And we can still be changed by the encounter. All because all because he sent a helper, the Holy Spirit, to help us do just that. 
along with preserving his word for thousands of years. Consider John 15, 26. Well, when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And think about Paul's prayer in Ephesians 1. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might. It is possible for the spirit of truth to bear witness about Jesus to us. It is possible for God to give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ. It is possible for us to encounter the Lord. So if it's possible, how do we do it practically? What does it practically look like? Think back to Zacchaeus and Zacchaeus' encounter with him. It simply looks like being in his presence for us, now mediated by the Holy Spirit and empowered by our faith, hearing his words, seeing him for who he is, and being transformed by the experience. So how can we do this practically? Two main ways that I want to call this morning. And the, the Puritans, John Owen, have gone into this deeply and thoroughly, communing with God, lots of, lots of ways to talk about this, but I want to talk about just two. Uh, private, personal spiritual disciplines and corporate spiritual disciplines. So individual spiritual disciplines position us to be in Jesus' presence, hear from him, see him for who he is, and be transformed by the experience. Bible reading and prayer, specifically, position us to encounter the Lord. Remember John 1.14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is the embodiment of the word of God. And amazingly, we have that word in our hands, preserved for us for thousands of years, when we read the word, God can give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ. We can read about Christ and encounter his close kindness. We can read about Christ and encounter his glorious grandeur. We can read about Christ and learn more or afresh about his great acts of salvation. And I'd argue that not just the Gospels, and not just the New Testament, for that matter, reveals Christ. As we learn on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24, every word in the Old Testament points to the living Christ. Every story in Exodus, every praise in the Psalms, every exposition of God's glorious nature in Isaiah, everywhere in the Bible is an opportunity to encounter and hear from and be counseled, cared for, and instructed by his living spirit. Therefore, we need, we need regular, unhurried time in the word. The whole Bible, every word of it, provides an opportunity to encounter Jesus in some way. May we redouble our efforts to read 
and think about and apply the word on a daily basis. And with the Spirit's help, with the Spirit's help, and a little effort on our part, may we meet with the Lord. Consider even before you read the word, pray the prayer. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Help me to encounter you in the scripture. Then dig in, read, and think about, and pray over the word, and be transformed by it. In addition, corporate spiritual disciplines position us to encounter the Lord. Empowered by the Spirit, biblical preaching can usher us into the throne room of God and help us to think upon the nature of Christ, his great deeds in creation and salvation, his transformative work in our lives, and the wisdom he would command us to walk in now that we have been reborn. Singing biblical truth together can do similar things as we lift our voices and hearts to the Lord. The Spirit can illuminate truths about the Lord to our minds and hearts that refresh and strengthen us. And even corporate fellowship, as we encourage, counsel, admonish, and comfort one another with the truths of God's word, we can hear from the Lord, apply his word to our lives, and be changed more so into his likeness. Therefore, let us put ourselves in a position to hear from and encounter the Lord every day. Let us sit down and open our Bibles and read and draw near to the Lord through his word. Let us not neglect to meet together, but do so all the more. And let those meetings together be filled with the word, essentially filled with the Lord. Third, what will be the fruit of our encounters with the Lord? Well, consider, if we're humble, knees bowed to Christ, these encounters will result in our sanctification, our peace, our comfort, and our strengthening. If we are open to and cooperative with the work the Lord wants to do in and through us, we will be changed for the good more into Christ's likeness. Consider Romans 8, 28 to 29. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. All things, all encounters with the Lord will work together for our good, for our conformity to Christ's image. If we are humble with open ears and obedient wills, we will be like Zacchaeus. We will be like the disciples. And we will be changed from one degree of glory to the next, further into Christ's likeness, leading to eternal life. However, if we're proud, if we are resistant in unbelief, suspicion, or even hatred of the Lord, our encounters with him will not result in good fruit. Rather, we will turn to the image of the scribes and Pharisees, who do not want us to be in his, who do not want to be in his presence, who do not want to hear from him, and who certainly did not want to be transformed by him. Their hearts were hardened in pride and hatred, leading ultimately to eternal death. Finally, there's one last fruit I'd like to mention of humbly encountering the Lord Jesus linked to the transformation that it brings, and that is if we are regularly, individually, and corporately encountering the Lord, spending time in Jesus' presence, 
when people encounter us as a church, they will encounter the Lord. They will be encountering Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 states that now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. We are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Church family. He's left us an example of love, of sacrifice, of kindness and of truth. He served. He encouraged. He challenged. He spoke the very word of God. And he is now empowering us to be his body. His very eyes and ears and hands and feet. When people encounter us as a church, may they encounter eyes that view them with love, ears that listen to them with compassion, hands that are interested and eager to serve them, and feet that are willing to walk the distance with them toward their salvation and healing. May, may people encounter Christ when they encounter the members in full corporate body of this church. May people encounter Christ when they encounter us. And to do this ultimately again, we ourselves must stay close to Christ, abiding in him and his word. Let us stay close to his power, his might, his wisdom, his compassion, his healing, his love, so we can walk in integrity and generosity like the reborn Zacchaeus, so we can walk in humility and faith like the reborn disciples. And let us stay close to the cross where Jesus bought our regeneration, bought our faith and repentance, bought our justification, bought our adoption, and bought our glorification so we can walk simply as reborn Christians. Knowing him, assured, assured of his deep, deep affection for us. And empowered to live out his invaluable wisdom. Remember, encountering Christ unlocks our ability to walk wisely. So for communion today, let's consider. Have we encountered Jesus in a way that has transformed our lives? Have we seen him for who he is and believed upon him? Have we repented of our sin? Have we been reborn? If so, praise God. Let us feast on the bread and the wine. If not, then I would encourage you to pause and ask Jesus for that encounter. I pray it is today. And if it is, I would encourage you to pray to him, to acknowledge both his truth and his kindness, to express your sorrow over your sin to him, and to ask him to forgive you for it. And then in faith, rise up and trust that he delights, he delights to forgive. He delights to show mercy. That if you truly believe that he died for your sins and rose from the dead for you, that you too are now saved and saved for an eternity of glorious encounters with the living Christ. In 1 Corinthians 11, 23 to 26, Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat, this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.
come. Let us take part in one additional opportunity to encounter the Lord, that being at his table, and may our lives be forever changed.